0: Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leaves us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit ImpactChurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.
1: like a relationship, a marriage, where it is truly a match made in heaven. Anybody, you know, like you're like that's what I'm talking about right there. Like I want a match made in heaven. I, I want. I don't want a match made from hell. I want. A, I want a match made. In heaven, and uh, and I want a relationship where, man, I am like forever madly in love to meet my. For those, if you're single, raise your hand. If you're single, you're single. Wouldn't it be nice? Like you, you can't wait. I just can't wait to meet my dream boo. Like, I need a match, man, made from heaven. A dream girl, dream guy, dream, dream, dreamy, dreamy. That was a perfect person. Isn't it fun to think about that God? has this like perfect person for you like that he created this special this one person just for you isn't that a cool thought but it's a cool thought but it's actually not true it's not reality god didn't create see the problem is with that theory is if everybody had a created perfect person if one of you married the wrong person then we've all married the wrong person cuz you took mine and i took yours and they took theirs and so it doesn't work quite like that, but um, I want a relationship where I'm for mad, mad, madly, madly in love forever. My wife and I have been married 23 years, 23 years, and we're just getting started. And, um, and I'm curious, has anybody in here been married over 20 years? Raise your hands. If you've been married over 20 years, you guys, great, let's go. How, anybody over 30? Over 30 years? Over 30, we got a few, come on. Anybody over 40? One in the back, come on. 40 years. Anybody over 50? Over 50? 50? Over 800 years. Anybody over 800 years? 800 years. You've been married since Jesus walked the planet. And um, hey, for those over, over 40, let's give them a round of applause. That is... See, because this is a thing for those of you that are single, for those of you that are maybe dating, for those of you that are maybe newlyweds, I want to tell you that uh, marriage is tough stuff. Marriage is hard work. And so I know single can, you know, it can be hard being single and singleness can be hard and you can feel you're like, man, is, you know, where is this person? And I can feel lonely and I could feel like, man, I just want to be married. I want to have a family. And I know that can be hard. But I'm just here to tell all of you single people that marriage is also hard. It's just a different kind of hard. But they're both difficult. And the reality is with marriage is that they take work. They are uh, tough stuff, man. you got to work hard at it. In fact, a match made in heaven is actually built on earth. A match made in heaven is built on earth. And I want to start by reading Psalm 121, uh, actually 127 and verse 1. If you'll look at it with me, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Would you read that out loud with me? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And with that, I'm going to open in prayer. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for this word today. We pray that you would speak to us, change us, challenge us, encourage us, uplift us. God, give us hope today. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say... Amen. How about a round of applause for our worship team as always? Amen. Unfortunately, there are no fairy tale marriages because there are no perfect marriages and there are no perfect people. And so, marriage takes a lot of work. To have a marriage, that you consider it's a match made in heaven, which is the marriage I have, it takes a lot of attention. It takes a lot of intention. It requires sacrifice. It requires selflessness. A match made in heaven, it's built on earth. And I was refreshing myself this last week with some uh, statistics, and it said, statistics in the United States of America say that 50%... Of every marriage in this country will end up in divorce. 50%. So if you have been through a divorce, you're not alone because one out of every two couples, it studies statistics say end up in divorce. They also say that remarry, the second marriage, 60% of second marriages end up in divorce. Third marriages, 73% of third marriages end up in divorce. Aren't you glad you came to church today? This is the most depressing stuff ever in the world. But the crazy thing is I've never met anybody in my life that is about to get married. That's like PT. This is really cool. And it's an exciting event, but I just can't wait till I get divorced one day. Nobody wants to get divorced. Nobody likes divorce. We hate divorce. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Malachi that God hates divorce. He doesn't hate the person who gets divorced. He just hates the concept of divorce for the same reasons that you and I do. It's painful. It's hard. Some of you in here, you've gone through this. You could preach this better than I can. It's painful. And it's difficult. But listen, when you build your house, when you build your marriage on the Lord... You're not laboring in vain. And when you build your foundation on Jesus Christ, guess what? The statistics go out the door. Because God is bigger and greater than all statistics. I'm going to need some help in this 1215 service (laughs) this morning. And so I want to start with the foundational verse about marriage. It's way back in Genesis chapter 2 verse 22 when God created Adam and Eve, and he says this in Genesis 2, 24. Actually, he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become, what's it say? One flesh. One flesh. Say that again. One flesh. So two become one. Two become one physically, two become one emotionally, and most important in God's sight, the two become one spiritually. So God now sees the two of you as one. There is incredible beauty in this verse, but it also shows while there can be so much pain when a marriage is broken, because when two become one, And now we go through a divorce, the flesh, the spirit, the emotions are being ripped into two again. And so it's hard on families. It's hard on us. It's hard on our children. It's hard on the people who love us and know us. So a match made in heaven is built upon God's word, God's word, and God's word teaches us what true love is, what God's love is, not human love, not human lust, not infatuation, not the feel goods and the butterflies, but what love actually is. And it tells us this in First Corinthians 13. It gives us 16 things about love. It tells us 16 things about what love is and what love is not. So I read this about a month ago. Let's read this again. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. We're going to read this out loud together. Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. You are losing of all three services so far. Let's read this out loud like we love the word of God. Does anybody love the word of God? You love it? Let's read it like we love it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but reduces, (laughs) whatever, with the truth. I think love reduces too. Verse 7, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. God's love never fails. Let's give him some praise. God's love never fails. Human love fails. But God's love never fails. And so if you want a match made in heaven, it's built on earth by building it upon the First Corinthians 13 foundation of love. So I want to give you four things in your outline today on how to make your relationship a match made in heaven. Now, we're not going to get through all four of these. We're going to get through two because I only got through two in the first two services So we're only going to get through two. This is at minimum going to be a two-part message series. It might be four parts. It might be 80 parts. We'll just see how it goes. But we're going to dig into God's word about a match made in heaven. And we're going in deep end first. Number one, keep the romance alive. Amen. 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 There we go. We can't have one woman all excited about that. Come on. Keep, keep the romance alive. Whether you've been married for one year, five years, 50 years, keep the romance alive. Now, I want to read to you in Proverbs 5. We're going to look at a bunch of Proverbs today. Solomon had a lot to say about this, but this is what he says in Proverbs 5. When he says, let your mate's affection Fill you at all times with delight. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Let your mates affect. Somebody say your mate. He didn't say let your neighbor's affection. He didn't say let your co-workers affection. He didn't say let that stranger who hits you up in your DM's affection. He said let your mate's affection fill you at all times with delight. Now I like the word delight here because it's one of the strongest words in the entire Hebrew language. This word delight in Hebrew it's translated to be intoxicated, to be ravished, to be enthralled, to be exhilarated, to have your mind blown because of your mate. And it's talking about affection. Let your mate's affection fill you at all times with delight and um, and and and. You know, I think the romance thing, keeping the romance alive is easy at the beginning, right? The beginning, the romance is alive, baby, and it is well. I mean, we're holding hands and we're kissing and we're making out and we're snuggling and we're going to movies and we're writing each other poems, full grown men writing poems to their women. Like, this is the beginning. We're in the infatuation stage. Infatuation is not reality. It's like being drunk. I call it love drunk or like love stoned or love cracked out or something. Like, it is not reality. Like, you see the good in every bad when you're infatuated. They got like a mole in the middle of their forehead with a big hair growing out. And you're like, I just want to kiss that mole right now. It is not reality. And then the infatuation stage ends and you're like, my God, that mole is so hideous. We're going to have to go get that sucker removed. Right? And so the infatuation stage is, is, is quick. It goes by in a hurry, but it, it should last forever. It should last forever forever. And we have to work for that. And Solomon, you know, he wrote a whole book called, called Song of Solomon. And you cannot read that unless you're 18 years old or older. But if you're 18 years older, older, Song of Solomon is a good book for you. He wrote this poem to his woman. And I want to read it to you because it's quite impressive. The words that he says, very romantic. He says, you are beautiful, my darling. <laughs> beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats. Winding down the slopes of Gilead. Can you picture it? (laughs) Then he says your teeth are as white as sheep. Recently shorn and freshly washed. Then he says your smile is flawless. Each tooth is matched with its twin Could you imagine matching teeth? I mean, he is digging in here. Your teeth have twins. He says, Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck, man, it's as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Your breasts, let's not ignore the breasts. Your breasts are like two fawns. Twin fawns, that be, of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. I have no idea what he's trying to say. You're altogether beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. I mean, can you imagine saying this stuff to your girl? You know what I'm saying? You're like, Natalie, your hair is like a flock of <laughs> It's like a flock of goats. My God, your teeth match. Like, you know what I'm saying, babe? Like, your neck is like Tower of David. I mean, my gosh. You know, we might have to modernize it. Like, this, this is like old school sexting. Solomon is sexting, old school style. We have to modernize it. Like, your teeth are like a white Rolls Royce in Scottsdale, Arizona. You know, your, your neck is like the Empire State Building, you know. We have to modernize it. Your breasts. Y'all didn't think I was going to go there, did you? I'm not going there. I don't know what they're supposed to be like. I just know that we could do far better than a pair of fawns. I mean, come on now. That's a little weird. I can't even see how that works out, but but the point is is that you know, matches made in heaven, they they keep the romance alive. You know, we get past a certain stage and When's the last time you wrote your significant other a note, a card, a letter, sent flowers? Listen, when's the last time, if you're married, when's the last time you went out on a date? Somebody say this, date your mate. Will you say that out loud? Date your mate. Date your mate. We're all guilty of this. We get caught up with time, and we got children, and we got work, and we got stuff. We have to make time. Date your mate. Date your mate. And, in fact, don't stop dating your mate, and don't stop mating and dating. Date your mate, right? Date your Nate. Now, obviously, keeping the romance alive, I have to talk about sex because the Bible talks about sex. The world talks about sex. Uh, Media talks about sex. Social media talks about sex. Movies talk about sex. Radio talks about sex. Songs talk about sex. Everybody on the planet is talking about sex. But the thing about them talking about sex is they are not talking about the truth about sex. And God's word tells us the truth about sex. And so I think it's important that we look to God's word on the truth about sex because it's maybe not sex e in the way we want to hear it in our flesh. But it's good for us to know what the truth of God's word has to say about this topic. Now, make no mistake that sex is not bad, right? I mean, God created sex. God created it. Easy now. Easy now. God created sex and, um, you know, he created God. Sex was God's idea. He created it. It's not dirty. It's not gross. It's not perverted. We as humans made it gross. We as humans made it perverted. And we as humans have distorted the original design for sex. And by the way, sex, biblical sex is actually incredibly pure. It's sacred. In fact, in fact, biblical sex is important for our romance life because it's created for intimacy and for enjoyment and for unity and for procreation. I want us to read Hebrews 13, four together. Let's read this out loud. Hebrews 13, four honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between a wife and a husband honor marriage. How do we do that? We guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between a wife and a husband. I know the whole world is telling us something different. Everybody out in the world is telling us otherwise. They're saying, have sex with whoever you want to have sex with, whoever you want to have sex with. the The world's way is, if it feels good to you, then by all means, do it. You be you, baby. Have sex with whoever, whenever, however. That's the world standard. The world standard for sex is that there is no standard. And that that standard is always changing. Culture to culture, it changes. Well, this is what it looked like in the 50s. This is what it looked like in the early 1900s. This is what it looked like in the 80s. This is what it looks like in the 2000s. And so the world standard, it's like a never-ending moving bar. It's just always changing with the way culture changes. But the word standard about sex has never changed. It's literally the same standard that it was 2000 years ago. Sex is created for inside The context of marriage. I'm going to say it again. Sex is created. By God. According to his word. For inside the context of marriage. Now I know. That many of us in here. Have completely. Screwed. That up. Literally. If you've screwed that up. Raise your hand. Come on be honest. You're in church. You're in church. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to shame you. I like that we have a bar set for us that is really, really high. I like that we have a target that God gave us. And that it's not easy to hit because it keeps driving us to move forward, to be better, to do better, to become more pure in our hearts. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to criticize. I'm just here to tell you what the word of God says. Sex is is reserved according to scripture for the context of marriage some of you might think oh boy he's old school he going old school listen i'll take that as a compliment because i'm here to preach the bible and the bible is old school this is god's word for our life i just happen to know How much more blessed your life will be if you live by the Bible standards and not the world standards. I also know how much pain you will save yourself if you live by the guidelines of God's word and not the world. And so can I talk about it? You're going to, you know, some of you will never come back to this church ever again. And, And that's okay. If you find a church that is in the valley that says you can have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, outside of marriage. Then I'm here to tell you that they're preaching heresy. Okay, they're preaching heresy. Because it is designed for the context of marriage. The world standard for sex is that there is no standard. If it feels good, do it. Sleep with whoever, whenever, however. Oh, by the way, if you get pregnant by accident because you're out fooling around and acting a fool, that's okay. Just have an abortion. You know what? That's okay. The next morning, just take a pill and kill that sucker. And yeah, I'm going to talk about abortion because I don't believe biblically that abortion is part of God's plan for our life. I'm not here to talk politically. I'm here to talk biblically. And I'd be happy to share plenty of scriptures with you on this topic. And one of them is in Psalm 139. 139. I want you to look at this with me for a minute because it talks about this. David said to God, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Listen to this. Verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. David is saying, look, man, there's a life in there. God created the life. By the way, Impact Church, God is the giver of life. You can't give life. I can't give life. God is the giver of life. And even if you had an accident, it might have been an accident on your part, but it wasn't an accident on God's part. God is the giver of life. I am a living testimony of a mama who had me at 16 years old. What if she would have aborted me? 16 years old. 16. See, I believe that God is the giver of life. God is the giver of life. And by the way, if we reserve sex for inside of marriage, Abortion wouldn't even be a topic of discussion anyway. If we reserved it for marriage only, this wouldn't even be a concept. Because it is God's best for our life. Now, I will say this, that I understand for those of you that are dating, those of you that are courting, you know, the American word is dating. The biblical word is courting, court, courting, courting. And when you court, um, are you, 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 you guys are all single. This is a single section. It appears that you're very single. Because I could see the desperation on your fit. No, I'm just kidding. But if you're single, when you meet somebody, the, the, the courting is, I am now going to meet you in the context of Christ. And I'm going to make sure before I date you, you love Jesus Christ with all your heart. And if you don't, I'm not saying yes to a date. I'm not saying yes to the movies. I'm not saying yes to dinner. If you don't love Jesus, so courting starts on the foundation of two people loving Jesus Christ together. And when you court, that's when you're getting to know each other emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually. And courting is bigger than just the person. Courting is about the family. And for those of you that are single, I've got news for you. When you marry somebody, you marry the family. And so if you don't like the family, run. Because you marry the family. There's a reason everybody hates their in-laws. Yes, run. And so, you know, I, and I know it's hard if you're dating. You're like, man, I don't know if I could save sex to a marriage. Like, I'm just walking around wanting to have some sex, you know. And I say, like, you know, when Natalie and I got uh, when we got together, we started dating. We started courting. And, um, you know, we, we, we decided, we, we made a decision together that we were going to save sex until marriage. Okay? And and we made it. We made it. Okay? But 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 listen, do you think it was easy? You're like, yeah, you're a preacher. You guys are preachers of the most high. You probably didn't even have the desire. You, hey, you don't think when I'm dating Natalie falling in love did I want to have sex with her every day all day you bet I did right I'm human before I'm pastor that's why we got married at 14 years old because I'm like hey I don't know if I can wait till I'm 30 like hey we got it's like a shaking up pop can like we we're gonna have to get married now right <laughs> right I told you some of you will never come back to this church ever again but um it, it, it's anytime you set out to do something God's way, it's going to take. Some sacrifice. It's going to take some commitment. It's going to take some crucifying your flesh. Because that's what a man and a woman of God does. They crucify their flesh. My flesh says, I want that. And I want that right now. But the spirit man in me says, nah, you can wait. My lust says, give it to me now. But my love, it says that love is patient. And my love, it can wait till the night of my marriage. And if you've screwed this up. (laughs) No pun intended. But if you have, why not reset today? Why not reset today and see what God does in your relationship and in your life? Now, I want to say this, too, when it comes to abortion, because, you know, maybe you've had an abortion in a room this size and all the people watching online. Chances are good there's more than one of you. I'm not here to condemn you. You know what I believe about that baby? I believe that it was a baby that God gave us that had a heartbeat that had a life. we took it. But you know what? That baby immediately went into the presence of Jesus Christ and nothing was harmed and no pain. Okay, but sometimes it leaves us with some pain and the effects of pain. And I just want you to know I'm not here to condemn or judge you because I'm human, too. But I just want you to know for the future that God has better for us. God has better for us. And if you're here today. And you're pregnant and you can't keep your baby, I want you to DM me after church today. And I will gladly, my wife and I will gladly take on another Hearn child in our family. And we will make that baby ours. And if a hundred of you DM me that y'all got babies, we're going to have to set up a GoFundMe and buy a bigger house. But I'm pretty sure there's a thousand of you who would also take a baby in. Am I right about that? And you would say, you know what? I'll raise that little baby and make it a part of my family. And, you know, God God has a lot to say about sex. You know, we've gotten this whole thing screwed up. That's why the world's so screwed up because we haven't followed God's word on this. But he has a lot to say. He has more to say about sex. Look at somebody and tell them there's more. There's more. We're just getting started, by the way. We're just getting started. There's more that God says about sex. And so if you're married or when you are married, uh, God's word tells you to not stop having sex with each other. Okay, I want to read some scripture to you. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Okay, here we go. First Corinthians 7. You came to church. I didn't drag you here. Here we go. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband, seeking to satisfy his wife, And the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. (laughs) Marriage is a decision to serve the other whether in bed or out. You might have a problem, girl. You might have a problem, girl. We got Celebrate Recovery for that. Okay. Verse 5. Verse 5. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it. And if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. This verse right here is exactly why my wife and I don't pray or fast ever. OK, that's that's a joke. But but I said this a few weeks ago, and this is this is the reality is, you know, I know I know that a lot of marriages it's a lot more complicated than I'm just reading these scriptures. And I understand that. But the, the, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. And fact, it's greener where you water it. In fact, the other side of the fence is just artificial turf. It's not even reality. It looks better than it actually is. And then once you get over on that side of the fence, you're like, well, this isn't as good as I thought it was. Anyways, the grass is greener where you water it. And so instead of constantly comparing your situation to another one, start cultivating, stop comparing and start cultivating your own grass and you'll watch it grow. Your goal, if you're married, is to become, make your grass so green that the other side of the fence just looks really dead and brown. Be A magnet. If you're married. Be a magnet. For your spouse. Be a magnet. Because if you're not a magnet. The devil will customize a magnet. That is not you. And try to draw. That person away. Keep the romance. Alive. Let's look at number two. This is the only other one we're going to do today. Number two. If you want a match made in heaven, it's built on Christ-like communication. Christ-like communication. What what does that mean? Christ-like communication. It means that Jesus spoke the truth. He was truthful. He was honest. He was compassionate. He was considerate. He was empathetic. Right? Jesus has the ultimate communication style. And so if I'm going to have Christ-like communication with the person I love, I need to think in terms of and train and practice in terms of being a communicator like Christ communicated. By the way, you know the number one problem in relationships, and this is for you 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 single section, you know, just to understand the number one problem in relationships, it's not sex, it's not money it's communication 85% psychologists will tell you that 85% of everybody that comes for counseling it is because of communication problems bad communication lack of communication miscommunication communication problems So this is something that we need to work on because healthy marriages require healthy communication. Great marriages require great communication. Marriage communication is tough because you have two aliens that come from different planets that decide to live together, right? They don't communicate the same. They're not the same. They come from different backgrounds, different experiences, different communication styles, different social styles, different body language, different facial expressions. Natalie and I, we've been married 23 years. You would think we'd figure this out by now, but we feel like we haven't even started learning how to communicate with each other because we're so different. So different. I'm very direct, as if y'all didn't notice that already. I'm very direct, very direct, right? And, and and that directness can seem harsh. It can seem mean. It can seem rude. Sometimes I'm rude. Sometimes I'm nice, but she thought I was rude. Sometimes I come across really, really harsh, but I didn't even know it. And she'll be like, well, that was a little harsh. And I'm like, well, that wasn't harsh. Hey, you ain't seen harsh yet, girl. Let me show you what, right? And so I'm I'm a I'm a direct, I'm a direct, very direct, very strong, very direct. Natalie's very sweet and very subtle. And we came together. Right? It's like the 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 Lord's sense of humor. It's like cheap entertainment for he and Moses and Elijah for the next you know 50 years. He's like, hey, Moses, Elijah, come here, watch this. We put these two together. Watch this. This is gonna be amazing. And you know. Cause if I'm talking to my son or something or one of my children, I could be like, "Hey, take the trash out." That's just the way I roll. It's very direct, very to the point. Mama's sweet and subtle. She'd be like, "The trash is, you know, kind of filling up, and but I mean, at least it smells good. It's good trash, you know. It's <laughs> it's, it's beautiful trash." And uh, and, and and you know, and, and it's very sweet. It's very, it, it makes you, f- I feel great about taking the trash out. Like, this trash is full. It smells good. Let's roll, man. Daddy just ripped my head off, right? And this is what happens because two worlds collide. They come together. We're different in every possible way. And we've got to learn to communicate the way the other person can understand it, comprehend it, and process it. Okay? Is it, whose fault is it if I say something That I did not mean it to sound harsh, but she heard it and it felt harsh. Whose problem is that? It's my problem. Because I have to learn to understand how she thinks, how she sees it, how she feels it, so that I can communicate effectively to her heart. The same is true with her. You know, I'd rather her say, like, stop doing that, bro. I'd rather her say, hey, point two in your sermon Sucked right like just give it to me lay it into me so she's got to learn to communicate to me and I've got to learn to communicate to her in the ways that we communicate and so we're very different everybody is man women you're different man you communicate hey even the the amount of words that we use studies show that men speak about 20,000 words a day which seems like a lot to me women <laughs> Women speak about 30,000 words a day. You guys, that's a lot more. That's a third more of words, right? And if your marriage is anything like mine, I used all 20,000 words throughout the day before I even got home, and mama still got another 10,000 words to go, you know? She's like, will you talk to me? I'm like, I'm, my talk tank is gone, you know? <laughs> gone. And she's just talking away. She just wants, she wants to talk to her husband. Her husband is done talking right we're radically different we're radically different and that's intentional that's on purpose god's word has a lot to say about communication in fact king solomon had a lot to say i want to read through a couple scriptures in proverbs look at this one with me in proverbs 18:21 it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits death and life are in the power of the tongue the words you say And those who love it will eat its fruit. You know what that means? If you use your words to destroy people, to gossip, to slander, to lie, to cut people, to belittle people, you will eat its fruit and you're going to reap what you sow and it's going to come back and cut you. That's what it means. And so he's saying words are powerful. You can destroy your life with your words. You can destroy your marriage with your words. You can destroy your children with your words. You can destroy your career or your reputation with the words that you say. And that's the bad news. But the good news is the opposite. You can build your marriage with the words that you choose. You can speak life to your wife. You can speak life to your husband. You can use words that edify and encourage and uplift and build and some of you today, your words have killed your marriage. You said, no, it was they did this. No, 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 no. It was the words. The words are what killed your marriage. And so we need to choose to speak life. Speak life. I want to jump down to James chapter 1, verse 19 for a second. We read this about a month ago, and I wanted to bring it back today. James 1, 19. He says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let's read that out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Okay? Well, let's break this down. Quick to hear. Quick to hear. With With my ears, but not just with my ears, because listening involves more than my ears. I'm quick to hear with my eyes. My attention. I'm quick to hear with my heart. Sympathy, empathy, feel what they're saying. Quick to hear and try to understand it from their perspective. Have you ever been in an argument and it didn't go well? Anybody? So, in an argument between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, who wins? Who wins that argument? Who wins? I do. What do you mean? I win. Nobody wins, nobody wins. The reason nobody wins because Really, an argument, we get it in our head. It's about, it's, it's like this win thing. It's like it's about winning. It's about me being right. It's about me making sure that they know that I'm right. So I'm going to keep saying what I'm saying, and I'm going to say it over and over. I'm going to say it louder. I'm going to say it stronger. I'm going to say it softer. I'm going to say it with tears. I'm going to say it however i got to say it so that this person will finally come over onto my side. Guess what? They're never coming over onto your side because they feel like their side is what they want to be heard. This is the way I feel. This is the way I feel. Neither is wrong both are right because both are the true realities of what we're feeling we have this going on in our world today right we have this going on in our 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 our, our streets in our neighborhoods in politics. We have this going around in the nation, in the world. We say, hey, no, it's this way. No, it's this way. No, it's Democratic. No, it's Republican. No, it's this. No, it's that. No, no, there's no racism. Okay, white man, there's no racism, right? Why don't you listen to me from my perspective and let me just tell you the way I feel. And why don't you listen to my perspective and let me tell you the way I feel. And if we would all just start listening to each other a little bit more, it might actually heal our land instead of just telling people the way we think it is. This is The power of communication that we need to be quick to hear, quick to hear, quick to hear, quick to hear. And then he says, slow to speak. Say that out loud. Slow to speak. Slow. Slow. You don't have to react. Slow to respond, slow to text that message slow to (laughs) send that email or leave that voicemail slow this is like preaching to myself because I'm like a firecracker slow slow to speak slow to speak some of you are so quick to speak that you don't even let somebody finish a conversation you don't let them finish their sentence you fill in the gaps we don't like you we just want we just want to say what we got to say and then you go i go then you go and i don't go until you go and then i go again that's conversation because then i know that you're listening then i you know that i'm listening okay and then he says be slow to anger right slow to anger slow to speak slow to anger slow to anger don't fly off the handle don't lose your mind don't lose I know I'm preaching to everybody in here because this is Scottsdale. And have you driven around Scottsdale road and in the air park? And if you go too slow, do you know what happens? People lay on their horn and they flip you off and all that stuff, right? Like slow down. Don't be so fast to be angry. You know, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. In Galatians chapter five, self-control. Be led by God's spirit. By the way, anytime you lose it, you lost. That's the truth. Anytime you lose it, you lost. So be slow to anger. I want you to look at Colossians. This is for the husbands out here, for the future husbands. And this is for you. Colossians three nineteen. He says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Women say husbands. Women say husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't be harsh with them. Don't be harsh with them. I'm just saying, I'm saying it right now. It's God's word, and some of you this afternoon you're going to be harsh with them. Don't be harsh with them. Don't be har- I had 3 women say amen, but I thought all the ladies would be like that's right PT preach that word amen. Glory be to Jesus Christ right now. Don't be harsh with them. Don't be harsh. God's communication and guidelines for communication, the life-changing if we would actually implement them. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Can I just say something on behalf of everything that's in my soul right now? And I'd like this to go viral. Can you guys do that for me? Like, I just need this, like, broadcasted from, like, CNN and NBC and Fox News. If you could just put this one little clip out there. Can the whole world stop being so freaking easily offended about everything? Can we do that? Can we? Can we do that? Can we stop being so offended? Can we stop being so defensive? Can we stop assuming that we know everything about other people? Can we stop pointing blame and accusing everybody of everything else when we're a part of the problem as well? Can we stop doing that? Can we lay down our weapons of defense? And start. Listening with empathy to one another. Did you get as on CNN yet? Let me know. Fox News, whatever. Whichever one you prefer. I prefer the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I. I. So it's interesting because, you know. We're kind of dumb as humans. We, we point blame. And, you know, by the way, it's one of man's oldest problems. One of man's oldest problems is pointing blame. Remember Adam and Eve? God created Adam and Eve, and then they're in the Garden of, of, of Eden. And then remember the devil comes and he's like, Eve, you need to eat of this fruit. She's like, yo, the Lord told me no. Yeah, but the Lord told you no because he knew that you would have all kinds of wisdom and you'd have all kinds of knowledge. And he tricks and deceives the woman into taking the fruit. And then she goes to her husband and she's like, yo, homie, this is good stuff. Like, you should try it, right? And then he takes it and he tries it. And then they're naked and then they're hiding in shame because anytime we do something wrong, what do we do? We hide. We try to cover it up. That's what trying to do, trying to hide, trying to cover it up. And then God comes along and he's like, Adam, where are you? You, you, you. And Adam's like, I'm right here, Lord. (laughs) And he's like, Adam, who told you you were naked? He's like, I mean, well, (laughs) I mean, it's not rocket science, but I mean, it's like, right. And what did he say? Why did you eat of the fruit? And he goes, Lord, the woman made me do it. That woman that you gave me, that woman that you created, she made me do it, right? we like constantly want to point the blame and never take responsibility for ourselves um you know just some rules for communication don't manipulate don't exaggerate exaggeration won't get you anywhere you you know exaggeration is like oh you always this way and that way and the other thing and you never you never you always you never that's exaggeration and all it does is put me on defense right You never, you always, I had one of my pastor mentors one time. He said, never say never and never say always because both are lies. Both are lies. Because it's never, never, and it's never always. Speak gracefully. Speak gentle. Speak kind words. Don't be harsh. Don't be rude. Don't nag. Nag. Don't like nag. You know, nag, 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 nag. Some of your families, it's nag, 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 nag. Nag, 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 nag. That's what it feels like. Nag, 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 like nag. The Bible speaks to this. Let's look at it. In Proverbs 27, it says this about nagging. It says a quarrelsome wife. Husbands, say wife. Men, say wife. Now, don't get in a fight before we get out of here. I'm just a messenger of God's word. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or trying to hold something with greasy hands. (laughs) It doesn't stop there. Proverbs twenty one nineteen. Same with Solomon again. He says it's better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Some of you ladies have no idea why your husband built a man cage in the cave in the garage. You, you, you thought he just liked to be in the garage. He don't like to be in the garage. You just thought he liked to play darts all night. He don't want to play. He's like, how do I get away from that for a while? I just need to get away from that for a while. What are you going to go do in the garage, honey? Uh, I'm going to build a car or something. I don't know. I don't know. A nagging wife. But we both know that there are women that speak harshly to their men. And we both know that there are men, men that nag their women. So it goes both ways. So, for all of us, that we learn to speak gentle and not harsh and kind and not harsh, that we learn to not nag each other and nag one another because all that does is drive a wedge between our relationship and put a wall between she and me. So, that's two points. We're going to continue this next week. It's going to even be better next week. It's going to be better. And this was pretty good. It's going to be better. This was pretty good, but it's going to be really good next week. So here's what I want you to do. Would you stand to your feet with me? Come on, stand to your feet, everybody. Stand to your feet. And um, I just want you to lift your hands for a minute to the Lord. And you know, this is, I say it all the time, but lifting our hands is biblical. The Bible says, lift your hands, all you people. It says, shout to God with the voice of triumph. When we lift our hands, it's just like the perfect symbolism of surrendering to God. God, I surrender. I surrender. God, I got nothing to hide. You can see my hands. It's a great illustration of when a child holds their hands up to their mother or their father because they want to be picked up. God, we want to be picked up today. We want you to pick us up and hold us and carry us through. God, we we need you to carry us through. We need you to carry us through. And I know that there's many of you here today that you need a miracle. You need God to do something in your life. As I started, I mentioned Genesis 22 and Abraham and Isaac. And you need God to provide a ram for you. And I just want you to know that your miracle is in the making. Your miracle is on its way up the backside of that mountain. You might not be able to see it. You might not be able to sense it. You might not be able to feel it. But I want to prophesy to you right now in the name of Jesus, mighty and most high God, that your miracle is on its way up the backside of that mountain. And God is always... Always, always, always on time. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never fail you. Because we just read that God's love never fails. Never fails. And when God provided that ram. Late in the midnight hour. Right on time. For Abraham. Abraham in Genesis 22 cried out and said, Jehovah Jireh. The Hebrew for God is my provider. God is my provider. Listen, God is your provider. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, mentally, God is your provider. He's your provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ... You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your heart. You can trust him with your soul. Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh. Today, if you're not a Christian, if you've never stepped out in faith and surrendered your life to Christ, I want you just to pray right now from your heart and take a step of faith. Step out of that boat today and say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I give you my heart. Thank you for giving me your life and dying on the cross for me paying the price for my sins. God, forgiving me, giving me a brand new life, starting me over in this life. God, I'm so grateful. You are Jehovah Jireh.
0: Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.